Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. So you're not going to believe this, but Major League Baseball owners set a deadline, and then they just changed the deadline like it wasn't ever actually a deadline. Never happened. Um, Never was out there. So the owners set a deadline of yesterday. Uh, If there wasn't a new CBA in place with the Players Association, then they would miss games. The start of the season, the start of the Major League Baseball season would be delayed. Well, they don't have a deal yesterday, and guess what? The arbitrary deadline they set has been pushed back until 5 p.m. today. Uh, Yesterday, they met like 15 times. The reporters that are covering this, I don't know where they're standing, but they can just see the owners walk back and forth to the room where the players are and then back to whatever room they go to talk about it amongst themselves. This happened like 15 times yesterday, and that's where we stand. They're apparently close. Uh, They apparently got very close yesterday, but it's not finished. And there's a new deadline of 5 p.m. today. Everybody apparently went to sleep and they're going to wake up and potentially they'll have a deal today and we'll have a baseball season ready to start as normal. Were those the reporters I saw in like lawn chairs? There were like 50. Those are the reporters. I was wondering, I'm like, they're not fans, are they? Like you you gotta, (laughs) you gotta get a little better life if your fans watching people walking back between buildings. So those must've been the media they just pitched up lawn chairs outside the place and I guess watch these guys. Yes, to basically to, to A, see them when they're actually going in for meetings. And the funny part is time how long the meetings are because sometimes it have been like, ah, the 13th minute meeting lasted 17 minutes, right? Which is always fun. Uh, but also, to, you know, you can yell at them and see if they'll come talk to you for a minute, which uh, sometimes they might say something. But yes, uh, reporters are just standing. I think it's just like a parking lot. Yeah, just kind yeah, of literally just, they were under trees out there and right. like pitched up some tents just kind of watching uh, old rich people walk back and forth between a couple now of Now they're rooms. not rich cuz they don't make any money. <laughs> they don't make money those owners. Not enough, not enough. So the okay, a couple of things from yesterday. It seemed like it's the first time that the owners finally made concessions on money. Um yeah, we'll see what the actual details end up being but there were you know the bonus pools for arbitrate or pre-arbitration players there was the uh basically the luxury tax number that that's gotten a little bit of change so there were a few things oh and player minimum salaries right so those are some of the three big areas that the owners and players were disagreeing on that was just simply straight up money how much are the players going to get we'll see if they come to an agreement today what those numbers actually change to but it did sound like from the reporting that there were finally some concessions. Some the owners did make some say, oh, "Okay, we'll give you a little bit of money." Because if you remember the 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 bonus pool, right? The first time the players asked about the bonus pool, they asked for like a hundred and ten million dollars in this yes. bonus pool, and the owners' counter offer was like Six five dollars. million dollars, <laughs> and it was like that's not a real counter offer. <laughs> if somebody asks for a hundred and ten, you can't counter with five. Like that's not real. So it sounds as though there were finally some concessions. And the interesting part is the way David Ross said it too. The way the sort of expanded playoff is being used in all this, where the owners want an expanded playoff because they make a whole bunch of money when there's more playoff games and all that. And the players know this. And I don't think the players have much. I don't think the players care how many teams make the playoffs, but the players know the owners want it. So that seems to be sort of the bargaining chip the players are using, using to try to get some of the money that they want. Yeah, I mean, 
I thought, and David said the same thing. Um, I wanted to ask you, besides the money fact, apparently last night they agreed to 12-team playoffs instead of 14. Right, which is which is interesting because we had a report. What, didn't a week we have a report ago? the day before where you lined up the wild card teams and you chose your wild card team right. and it got down to the third one and it was fourteen. Now what's twelve going to do for us? Yeah, I mean it's it's more than it currently is. I guess I don't know. I yeah, it, it was weird that we had a report that it was going to be a fourteen team playoff and then it was well, now it's a twelve team playoff, which means today maybe the players say, you know what teams out of the playoffs we're going back to the best team from the nl plays the best team from the al for the world series yeah it's i don't know what happened with the playoffs uh proposal there but apparently two teams got cut out should as baseball fans it'd be more and more frustrating that this went on and on and on and when it really came down to the deadline now they're gonna have an agreement or did we know this all along i mean every time these things happen it drags on they make threats uh you said it the other day that the deadline was an empty threat I believed it, that there's no way they were going to miss regular season games if they didn't have to. And all of a sudden now in the last 24 hours, well, we're going to extend the deadline and, you know, we're going to get to agreement. And it happens like this all the time. I still think the owners will get the lion's share because they usually do. And the players just don't have the capital or the money. That sounds crazy given how much they make, but they don't have the money the owners do. So they're usually the ones that fold on most of the things. But this happens every time, Tyler, that you get down to the last minute and all of a sudden there's a deal. If we have a 162-game regular season that starts time, it ultimately doesn't matter that they didn't Did all do anything. This. Yeah, that they didn't do anything for a month and a half and then set an arbitrary deadline and then changed it and then agreed to it at the last minute. Like, if they play 162 games and they start on time, how we actually got to that point won't really matter. I mean, it doesn't. It hasn't been a good look for Major League Baseball this offseason when you have owners and players arguing over who's going to make more money, right? Like, it's never a good look for a league. But if the games start on time, then it doesn't matter. Now, if the owners decide, hey, we're keeping this deadline today at 5 p.m. and they don't come to an agreement and they do miss games, then absolutely we're going to look back and say, what the hell did you guys do? Because here's one of the key details. The fact that Major League Baseball set this deadline. Major League Baseball, if you remember... When the lockout started, the Players Association sent an, an offer like, hey, here's here's some of the things we want to the owners. And the owners didn't respond for 43 days. Right. There was right. more than a month in which the owners did not respond to the players. And if we were to miss games, if there were to be a like if they don't agree to anything until March 7th. Right. And the owners say, yeah, we're missing the first two weeks of the season. Then you can look back and say, well, what the hell were you guys doing? for 43 days, right? Like you made this arbitrary deadline after you sat around and did nothing for For 43 days, right? Not like two days, not like uh, two weeks, 43 days. Then we can look back and be like, what the hell was that? If they get it done today and the season starts on time, then none of it matters. But if we miss time, then yeah, we can absolutely criticize the process and complain about what the hell they've been doing this entire time. I'll tell you who can look back and decide uh, that he made a good decision. It was Derek Jeter. (laughs) If you think John Gruden made some money off his house, look what Derek Jeter made off uh, his $25 million investment in the Marlins in 2017. Is this, uh, this had to have been like the worst timing, by the way, for the owners to sit here and say they don't have any money. So yes, Derek Jeter stepped down yesterday and is going to sell his ownership stake. He apparently bought in with $25 million in 2017. So five years ago, $25 million. The estimation yesterday, based on the Marlins' uh, uh, total worth as an organization, is that Derek Jeter is selling his investment 
that he paid $25 million for is now going to be worth $44 million. And they say they're not profitable or they make right. no money. Which means just, just Derek Jeter's stake in the Marlins went up $19 million in five years. <laughs> This is my. This is maybe why they came to a decision so quickly. Oh my God! They saw the headlines about Jeter. We better make it. We better get to a, uh, an agreement here real soon because we look like a bunch of idiots. And like, and so and like this is one of the the I don't know the funniest parts of the owners and Mar- Rob Manfred because Rob Manfred when he gave his little press conference like a month ago he he tried to say that the owners ah oh, we don't we don't make very much money or we don't make money at all we actually lose money sometimes right tried to like play it off as like oh. This baseball thing, it's just not that profitable. If it's not that profitable, every single owner in this sport, except maybe like Steve Cohen, because he just bought the team, every single owner in the sport could sell their team right oh. now and make an absurd amount of money based on how much they bought it yes. for. Like if it if they're losing money, if it's so hard to be an owner, they could sell the teams right now for a ridiculous profit. Right. And but none of them do because it's not true that they don't make any money. They do make money on these baseball teams. And that's like one of the dumbest or funniest things about this is how the owners try to claim they don't make money. But Derek Jeter just made $19 million in five years for owning. uh, What did he have, like 5% or something? Like he barely owned any of the team and he made $19 million in five years. What would Magic Stake be in the Dodgers? (laughs) I mean, it's the Dodgers. It's not even the Marlins. If this guy's making 44 for 25 million dollar investment i can only imagine what magic stake in the lakers would be or excuse me in the dodgers would be i mean yeah. you get the dodgers yankees the, the red sox and you let's say you have five percent in those teams i mean you'd you make a fortune yeah so uh, it's, it's a poor business ad you, you gotta be it's a charity for these owners you know they just don't make enough on it they gotta they gotta find ways to get you know they can't pay the players a minimum salary of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They got to pay them six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Because what would they do if they had to pay every guy another hundred thousand dollars? Jeter wouldn't get forty four million. They'd only get forty three million out of his sale. At any point, for Jeter. at any point, do you tell people uh, falsely that you make no money off chickens? Uh, no. Okay. We made so you're not, you're not out there like, you know, you're not a major league baseball owner saying, "Hey, I just don't make any money at this." No, we made $70 yesterday. 70? But yeah. is it 7? No, 70, 70. We have not made any money today. Chicken suck today, but um I mean, well, to be completely honest, we haven't actually made money on the chickens because we bought a whole bunch of them and we haven't we paid a lot more than $70 for all these chickens. So, we haven't actually made enough back yet to say that we've profited off the chickens yet so that hasn't happened yet but once it does yeah i'll let you know i'll let you know when we're officially profitable on chickens does the well she knows about them i'm sure does the girlfriend ask how much they are or does she pay attention to any of this stuff does she's she, i mean it. she must know you have these weird chickens and horses yeah she's over it she'll occasionally make a remark because i'll be like hey we bought a chicken she'll be like where the hell did you get that money from <laughs> I'm like, oh, the horses. We made money off the horses, so that's how we can buy so you the transfer, You transfer it over. Yeah, that's the key here. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, – no, but we – $70, pretty pretty good day That's yesterday. a good day. I'm, that's a good day I'm for chickens. Happy with it. We See, here, the only problem is we won a bunch of free races. We put our chickens in free races, which if you win a free race, you only win like 11 bucks, right? If you put – if you put if you pay like $15. If you have to you, pay to get in, you're winning more. Right. Right, like we like we lost our we lost the one sort of big money race. We put a chicken in a fifteen dollar race yesterday. He came in fifth. Nightmare, terrible. Um, had he won that, we would have gotten like eighty bucks just from that one single race. Um, but since we won a bunch of free races yesterday, it only ended up totaling up to seventy dollars in profit, which is good. I'll take it. 
So we need to do that. We need to like double or triple that and do it every single day. And then we'll be good to go. We're all waiting uh, on the edge of our seats. I asked your partner the day about when you get to like blow things up. What do you mean? When we sell everything? No, when you have like, you know, you start killing people and you start shooting people and stuff like that, shooting other chickens and like killing them with machetes. Like I'll actually watch then. That would be hilarious. Chickens are going to be great when we have machetes and uh, people can dig underground. One turns into a T-Rex. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal when that actually happens. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm asking you if you know the difference between right and wrong. I discovered at a very early age that if I talk long enough, I could make anything right or wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. So either I'm God or truth is relative. Bischoff's Briefs. And in either case, booyah. Bischoff's Briefs. Before I actually get into Bischoff's Briefs today, I feel like it's important to let you know I think I got one of the worst emails possible. Uh, Cox sent me an email saying that I'm going to have a outage on March 3rd because they're going to do some updates. What am I supposed to do if I don't have Wi-Fi? Wait a second. All your stuff, like your TV, your Wi-Fi, everything? I mean, Wi-Fi will be down. I have DirecTV for TV. Oh, you have so DirecTV for TV. Okay. I assume that'll still work, but what, oh, what the hell goodness. is this? A planned outage? That's no fun. It doesn't even tell me. It just tells me March 3rd. doesn't even tell me what time. I'm just going to be around and just the Wi-Fi suddenly goes out. That's oh, in two days. That's two days from now. Right. What a disaster. That's like the worst email you can get. Hey, you're just suddenly not going to have internet. Q's going to, for some reason, be here at 3 a.m. and walk in and say, why are you in the studio? Probably. Because yeah. you're going to be there well, 24 hours? I'm going to be like, hey, i got to raise some chickens, and they took exactly my Wi-Fi right. away. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah, no Wi-Fi. No chicken racing without Wi-Fi. Nightmare. That should right. not be allowed. It shouldn't. That's that should be against the law. At least they told me, I guess, rather than just me finding out. Hey, your your Wi-Fi's out for a day. All right, today's Bischoff's briefs. Here's a hot take: UNLV's defense has prevented them from being an NCAA tournament oh. team. So, let's go back to the preseason for this. UNLV uh, before the season started put out like a hype video from a practice, right? And in that video, Kevin Kruger was talking to his team, and he actually said, "Hey." Uh, we should be a top 25 defense in the country, basically hyping up how good he thought this team was going to be defensively. And then when Kevin Kruger talked to the media, when he talked to us, he talked up the defense. He never used that phrase with us, top 25, but he talked him up and he talked about the defense being the identity of the team and everything. And then the first three games of the season came around. UNLV had close wins over Gardner-Webb, Cal, and North Dakota State. All three ugly offensive games offense was under a point per possession in all three but they won them all because the defense was good and so it looked like hey Kevin Kruger was right defensive identity that's going to be how this team wins games they're going to be really good defensively but then UNLV played the five good teams of their non-conference schedule Michigan Wichita State UCLA SMU and USF they lost all five and they gave up over a point per possession in all five the defense was not good in those five games to be fair the offense was bad in most of those games as well it was overall bad for UNLV but the defense went from being good defense and top 25 Kevin Kruger talking it up to not being able to stop any good teams and then we got into Mountain West play and we've talked about this the defensive performances have varied they've had some good ones they've had some bad ones ultimately they've had nine games in Mountain West play where they held their opponent under one point per possession 
And they've had seven games where they've given up more than one point per possession. So a little bit more than usual. They're pretty decent defensively, but still pretty close to 50-50 on whether or not they have a good defense or not. And here's the interesting part. Take the last nine games for UNLV. They are six and three. Those three losses are to Utah State and two to Boise State. In all three of those losses, UNLV offensively has scored over one point per possession. In fact, UNLV is the only team in college basketball to lose while scoring over one point per possession against Boise State, and they've done it twice. Every other team that scored over one point per possession against Boise State has beaten Boise State. UNLV's done that twice and lost both times. In Mountain West play, UNLV's defense has stopped them from picking up three more wins, two twice over Boise State and once over Utah State. The offense was good enough to win those games, but the defense honestly sucked in those two games. Just those three games, if those go the other way, if the defense is solid, you know he's 20 and 9 right now. And 12 and, and 4. They're, and they're 12 and 4 in the Mountain West. Like we're talking about UNLV, they're contender because that take two wins away from Boise State. They're in the hunt for a Mountain West championship. And honestly, they're on the bubble, right? They're probably on the wrong side, but they're on the bubble if they're mm-hmm. 20 and 9 and 12 and 4 in the Mountain West, right? They're they're definitely on the bubble. We are absolutely talking about Wednesday's game against Wyoming as a must win for the NCAA tournament bubble. Another fun stat for you, uh, the last 10 games of the season, Bart Torvik ranks UNLV's offensive efficiency as 11th best in the country. Just the last 10 games, small sample size, but 11th best in the country over the last 10 games. Their defense, 112th. If you look for the entirety of the season, UNLV's offensive efficiency ranks 63rd, which is solid, not anything amazing, but very good. Um, Defense is 120th, right? UNLV has lost four games against top 100 teams this year when their offense scored over 100 or scored over one point point per possession. possession. And their defense wasn't any good. If UNLV, if they were, like Kevin Kruger said, a top 25 defense this season, they're an NCAA tournament team right now, right? We're talking about their Ken Palm being like 38, 41, right? They're an NCAA tournament team. Even if they were just top 50, right? then UNLV would be on the bubble. We'd be talking about this team as a legitimate bubble team for the NCAA tournament. Now, I say all of that, and it's not necessarily a criticism. This isn't a sitting here telling you UNLV's defense is terrible and Kevin Kruger failed, because I don't think it was ever realistic to think UNLV was going to have a top Top 25 defense. I don't think that was a realistic expectation for UNLV defensively, even if Kruger said so, even if they talked it up. Well, he said it to his team only. Right, but right. I, I think that was that was never a realistic thing. I don't even think top 50 would have, if you started the season, if you told me they were top 50 on offense or defense, I would have said, no, that's not happening. They're 63rd in offense. They're close. If they finish out strong, maybe they can get there. So today, like Bischoff's brief today, it's not to tell you that UNLV like has failed. It's to tell you that UNLV actually has half of an NCAA tournament team. I mean, the offense, it started out slow, but the offense has been good enough to be an NCAA tournament team. The other half just has been okay, not great. And the funny part, that I, the part that I find funny anyways, is that it's the opposite of what Kevin Kruger expected. Like, if we go back to the start of the year and told you, hey, Kevin, uh, your defense is going to be, you know, top 25 once you get into Mountain West play, we'd have been like, well, yeah, that's what we expect. 
but it's actually the offense that's been top 25 since Mountain West play has started. The complete opposite of what Kevin Kruger expected. Meanwhile, the defense is the one that's eh, half the time struggling, half the time playing well. So is is the nine and seven the breakdown you gave of one point under or one point over pos- uh, per possession? Because it's they're nine and seven. You said nineteen nine times they got it done. Seven they didn't. Is that like right down the middle? No, it has not worked out exactly that okay. well because they've had they've had a couple of games that have gone. Um, the other way, like San Diego State games, I think they've held they held San Diego State under one point per possession and still lost, uh, I, and still lost. Uh, so they've had a couple that have gone the opposite way. Like they like to be completely fair um, to UNLV, like they did a good job defensively against San Diego State, but lost the game because they couldn't score. Right. So they've certainly had a. There's a couple of games where the defense has been fine and the offense hasn't figured it out. Now. San Diego State ranks number one in the country in Ken Palm defense. So it's kind of expected that you're, so you're going to struggle, struggle to score. Right. The difference is like Boise State, for example. Boise State only ranks 86th in offensive efficiency, which is good. I mean, they're fine offensively, but they're not like a special offensive team. And twice they have crushed UNLV's defense. Twice they have put up really good uh, offensive efficiency numbers against UNLV, which is not ideal. And you know what? Actually, the interesting one, when I was looking through this yesterday, Air Force is fascinating. So Air Force's offense sucks this year, right? They're they're like terrible on offense. Go through their five best offensive games, right? Their five most efficient offensive games this year. Their best offensive efficiency came against Bethune Cookman. They're 330th in Ken Pump. <laughs> they suck. Their second best offensive night came against Holy Cross. 346 in Ken Pump. They suck. Their fourth best offensive night comes against San Jose State, 290 in Ken Palm. Another bad team. I know where but you're going other, with it. The, but here's the thing. The other two good offensive games, UNLV is yeah. one of them. They had a really good offensive game against UNLV. But they also had a really good offensive game against Wyoming. Like, Wyoming still won the game because Wyoming scored like 1,000 points. But Air Force's third best offensive game of the season was against Wyoming. So, like... Their best offensive games are pretty much just against bad, terrible teams, and then UNLV's in there and Wyoming's in there. It makes absolutely no sense. No sense well, the, the, whatsoever. the Air Force game uh, in, in the Springs was just terrible. <laughs> the, the, that, that was just a terrible game for them. So, yes. Um, yes. That was, I mean, that, that, that right there is, you know, 10 and 6 and, and 18 and 11 um, uh, if they get that one. I can't right. believe. Oh, man, I mean, I, you never think of them in, in, as an in-state tournament team, but the way you spelled it out, it, just a few things had to happen, and they would have been right there with the San Diego States of the world, like the last team in, the first team out, Wyoming. Wyoming and Carter State and Boise are in the tournament. I mean, their their bracketology numbers are like 8, 9, and 10. I mean, they're yeah. in. San Diego State yeah. just got back in this morning as a 12 uh, in, in yeah. Lenardi because of the win last night. But they, yeah. I mean, but UNLV, a lot closer than I think people realize. Right, and it, it it comes back to a handful of games, and that's why like the non conference schedule, that's why it was such a disappointment that they went zero and five in those games against Michigan, Wichita State, UCLA. San Francisco. Yeah, if they win two of those, they're again they're still probably on the wrong side of the bubble. Right. But if they had picked up two of those, 
And then they get we're, Wyoming tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, hey, beat Wyoming, and, and you've, you've got a shot. You're right. still alive, right? You're still going to need to do more. You're probably going to need to win a couple Mountain West uh, tournament games, but you still have a shot. And that's why the, the non-conference was so disappointing because it it kind of killed off any chance at, a, at, a, at an at-large bid, right? I mean, they would have had to have gone, you know, 16-2 and two or something right. like that to do it, but it kind of killed it off. And this year, the Mountain West was good. Like, there's good teams. Like, UNLV yeah. has – UNLV's got a – decent resume it's not an ncaa tournament resume but it's a decent resume simply because of what they've done in mountain west play because the conference has been good this was the year to win a couple of those non-conference games and then the mountain west being good enough was going to boost you even more and yeah that that's what was so disappointing about those non-conference games all right coming up next ben Lindsay joins us as we get into the combine has that actually started yet who's got a bubble butt And I did it again. I muted you myself. You muted yourself. I muted myself. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Sorry, Ben. I'm working from home today and forgot to mute myself. Ben Lindsay joins us now from Pro Football Focus. Uh, ben, are you are you already in Indy for the Combine? I am in Indy for the Combine. Just just the first few interviews started to roll through. Mike McCarthy, uh, George Payton. So starting starting to work through those a little bit. All right. Here's Here's a question I have. Do you think after the Combine is over – there will be a consensus best quarterback in the draft? I don't think so. I, I think there is enough uh, sort of parity at the top there, and different teams will like different guys for different reasons. right? If you want the tools, Malik Willis is going to be your guy. If you want someone who can step in and be more pro-ready, maybe a picket, maybe a, a Ritter even. Um, so, so I think there's going to be different teams who value different things, and there's not going to be a clear-cut top guy. If a quarterback is going to make that jump. I do think it will be Willis uh, just because what we've seen in recent years at the quarterback position and, and those tools really paying off and in terms of arm talent, mobility, um, he ha- sort of has all of that. Is it the talent so low in, in spots in this spot? And we've been, we've been talking about this for weeks that people are talking about Tannehill, Mariota goes to Cleveland, perhaps, um, that these kind of journeyman guys you're going to look at more so this year than actually trying to take a shot at one of these kids? Yeah, I don't think that's a bad option. You saw a few teams sort of do something like that last year. Washington tried to do it with Fitzpatrick, um, the Saints with Jameis, and I don't think it's a bad option to to go for a one-year contract for one of these veterans who isn't going to light the world on fire, but you can win games with them and then target your quarterback in a 2023 class that looks like it's going to be better than this one. How bad of an idea would it be to try to go trade for Jordan Love because you might think he's better than any of the quarterbacks in this class? I'm not sure that's something I would do personally. Um, <laughs> I think Love Love had real question marks coming out of Utah State in terms of his decision-making, um, some of his accuracy, and I don't think he's done anything in Green Bay to – to tell you otherwise that he's taking a step forward and he can be that franchise guy. The game he, he stepped in um, against Kansas City earlier this year, that was that was pretty ugly. So I think I would take my chance chances with one of those veterans or honestly one of the quarterbacks in this draft class instead of trading draft capital for Jordan Love. Uh, Matt Carell is not going to work out. He had the, uh, the ankle injury uh, in the uh, Sugar Bowl early. 
Uh, he's not going to work out there, just do the interviews and, and, and measure, I guess. Um, he seems to be like one of these mystery guys where at first people thought he was the number one recruit, uh, number one guy. Now he's kind of being ranked second and third. Any thoughts on Matt Corral and how much the injury would hold him back? Yeah, I don't think the injury is going to be, be huge. Honestly, after the Senior Bowl where all those other quarterbacks were in attendance, you heard after the Senior Bowl that Matt Corral was one of the winners <laughs> because none of those guys – who are there really really did anything to elevate themselves uh so i don't think him missing missing the senior bowl missing the combine and testing here it's going to really hold him back all that much um in terms of where he gets drafted i i think with corral you like his decision making um sort of hit that quick release uh he has some mobility um so i think he'll still be in that that first round conversation and in the mix for one of the first quarterbacks drafted do you have any predictions on who's going to be the combine hero? Like any position that we walk away from this week and being like, wow, that guy improved his draft status because he did some cone drill really well. <laughs> yeah, One guy to watch out for is um, Woolen, the quarterback, uh, cornerback out of UTSA. One of our guys, um, Doug Kide, recently did a feature piece on him, and it's an interesting story. He sort of learned how to play cornerback recently with the help of a FedEx driver uh, who DM'd him on Instagram. Um, he, he has some, some crazy testing numbers. So I think he's one who could really come out of this weekend boosting his stock just based off his 40 time. He has some size at the cornerback position, so he's one to watch out for. Wait, a FedEx driver DM'd him and said, I can work you out? <laughs> well, he, he just DMing him tips. Um, <laughs> so, and then he decided to work with him. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting piece uh, from Doug Kai that you can see over at pff.com. Um, but he, he's definitely an interesting story and a freak athlete. Ben Lindsay with us from Pro Football Focus. Um, all right, away from the combine a little bit. Uh, what what do you think exactly happened here with Kyler Murray? Like, did he give the Cardinals a chance to extend him, or or do you think there's actually something there that the Cardinals maybe weren't going to extend him, and he's trying to say, hey, you better pay pay me. I think it's a little bit of you saw in in recent years or last year that Baker and Lamar didn't get those extensions right after their third year and their play this year certainly didn't help their case for getting a mega extension. So I think that sort of pushed Murray to, he wants to get things done now. He didn't give the Cardinals a bunch of time, right? There hasn't been a, a long amount of time where they could have extended him. So it seems a little bit, bit early to make that push. Um, but I think it's a little bit of worry of, of just, he wants to get things settled in case, Something happens next year, his value goes down, something along those lines. Uh, mentioned him uh, quickly there, but I want to ask you about this. Uh, has Mayfield showed uh, enough uh, on the negative side to where if you do bring in someone like Marcus Mariota, you're bringing him in and giving him a legitimate chance? Because we talked about this before. If you're Marcus Mariota, uh, you're not going to get the legitimate chance with the Raiders, and he's probably too much money anyway for them to keep. But if you're uh, someone like him, you probably have to be looking at a place where you've got at least an outside chance of starting. Yeah, I think if they bring in someone like Marietta, he'll get he'll get a chance. I mean, Mayfield, it's hard to tell how much of it was the injury, how much of it was other stuff, but he looked rough last year. <laughs> there wasn't a lot, a lot great going on. He didn't look like he trusted his throws. Um, there were open guys, and, and he just wasn't pulling the trigger and, and sort of bailing on clean pockets, things like that. Uh, so the Browns are hoping that, it was a lot, the injury, and he sort of gets back to how he was playing at the end of 2020. 
But if you bring in someone like Marietta and roll into the training camp and it's looking like it did last year for Mayfield, there's probably a pretty good chance that Mariota could come in and win that job. They want to give Mayfield every chance, but they're also in a spot where they, they need to win games. The AFC North is going to be competitive, um, and they can't throw Mayfield out there again if he looks like he did last season. So, Pro Football Focus, you guys had your quarterback annual uh, already up and ready to go after the 2021 season for 2022. Uh, what, what did you, did anything you learned, like anything you took away after doing that, that you were like, oh, wow, didn't really think that that quarterback was as good or as bad at whatever you thought they were good at? Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of sort of interesting things you just pick up as you're going through different quarterbacks, um, like where they excel, for example, Derek Carr. Um, someone who is really good over the middle of the field. And that sort of makes sense, right? You look at at his top guys, Renfro, Waller, they, they sort of work those areas of the field. But you just pick up on little things like that um, with quarterbacks across the league. Some of the rookies, the difference between when they got rid of the ball quickly uh, and, and when they tried to extend plays, guys like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, a lot more success early in plays. Right? So you take that and look at it and, and say maybe next year you, you try to work in more of those quick timing throws, easy throws, um, rather than them trying to play hero ball. We uh, brought this up earlier, and it was specific to the Raiders, so I'm sure it, it you know goes from team to team in terms of what the needs are. But, you know, Casey Hayward's an impending free agent corner. Uh, their, their three down linemen are all free agents. K.J. Wright, a linebacker's free agent. Who, which position do you think is the most important for McDaniels and and Ziggler to uh, point at first defensively? Like, is there a position that stands out with you guys? It's like, okay, you better shore that down before you were about others? Uh, it, it's an interesting question as far as team building, just because if you look at defensive line play and pass rushers, that stuff is a little bit easier to, to project with guys changing schemes and stuff like that. So there's an argument to where you, you load up and really solidify I think defensive tackle is a spot where, where the Raiders could definitely look to improve. Um, it, whereas cornerback, you see guys like, like Hayward. That was one of the best signings of free agency last year. Um, but you can get like, guys like that coming off somewhat down years for a little bit cheaper, who you just plug into a new scheme and they sort of pick things back up. Um, so I think personally I would try to shore up the sort of interior defensive line um, and look for more value in the secondary in that linebacker. Well, he is Ben Lindsay from Pro Football Focus uh, from the Combine. Ben, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Ben. Take care. Anytime. Take care, guys. So, Ben Lindsay, uh, at their Pro Football Focus has like their quarterback annual, right? There's over 400 pages on every quarterback in the NFL last year. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and just just looking through it. So, what Ben said about Derek Carr and over the middle. So. Passes 10 to 19 yards down the field in between the numbers. Derek Carr was the second best quarterback in football last year. So very good there. Uh, he's 11th and 10th when throwing outside the numbers between 10 and 19 yards. So okay, but not great. When he threw deep down the right side of the field, he was the 29th best quarterback in football. That's not very good. That's not good at all. No. Also, interesting enough, if you look at his short passes under 10 yards... Under 10 yards between the numbers, 12th best quarterback in football. Under 10 yards to the left of the numbers, 21st best quarterback in football. Under 10 yards to the right of the numbers, 36th best in football. 
36th? What happened throwing keep, short on what? the right side of the field last year? Oh, I keep wondering where Renfro was. In the middle. He's the, yeah, apparently he's in, the, in, in the between slot. the numbers the entirety of the season. Who was he? What, was Zay Jones that bad on the right side of the field? I'm trying to think who else it would have been. Because I thought Zay Jones, at least in the end, the last several games, had, you know, he had a lot of good plays and he really improved. I mean, once yeah. once Rugs went out, I'm trying to think, you know, who that would have been on the on the was it on the right side, 36th? Yeah, but like they moved. Yeah, it was the right yeah, side. They but moved like guys they around. Moved they moved guys around. So it wasn't always like the same guy. I don't know. That's just bad though. Like 30. That, there's not even 36 teams. I was like, gonna say <laughs> number 35 was Marcus Mariota. Right. Like there's there, how how are there so many? <laughs> They're not even doing anything. I actually don't think Mariota is not in here because I believe Mariota threw one pass last year. So there wasn't much. And it was to, to the left him. side. He's number one. He completed it. <laughs> so there wasn't much to actually grade on Marcus Mariota. All right. We've got another giveaway. If you want to go out to the Pac 12 tournament, we got a four pack of tickets for the session on March 9th. It starts at noon. So some early basketball. If you want to go to T Mobile Arena for the Pac 12 tournament, we got a four pack of tickets. Right now, 702-364-1100. That's the phone number, 702-364-1100. You'll win four tickets to go out to the Pac-12 tournament on March 9th. We'll take caller number seven at 702-364-1100. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Today has not been a good start for chicken racing. Yesterday was very good. Today, I think we've run like seven races and have yet to get on the podium. Brutal start. Brutal start for us. Um, you want some uh, bracketology, Ed? Yeah. Is it, right. it thrown out this morning? Uh, it's the women's side here. Oh. Um, have they improved? Uh, no. The UNLV Lady <laughs> Rebels, uh, currently the automatic qualifier from the Mountain West. Obviously, they have to win the Mountain West tournament. Uh, according to ESPN's Bracketology, they would be a 13 seed going to Norman, Oklahoma to play four seeded Oklahoma. Ah, and if they, yeah, have to, they're going to have to beat somebody on their home court. Yes. Most likely. They could, if they sneak up to a 12 seed, then usually the five seed doesn't host, the four seed normally hosts. So if they could sneak up to a 12 seed, then they wouldn't necessarily have to beat a five seed on its home court. But. As it stands now, a 13 seed for the Lady Rebels as an automatic qualifier into the NCAA tournament, well, which... Uh, can great. you tease us and tell us who the five seed is in Oklahoma? Oh, North Carolina. Two tough games. Yeah, so they'd have to beat Oklahoma and most likely North Carolina to get to the Sweet 16 if they were to get drawn into this region uh, of the NCAA tournament. But as of now, they are the favorites to win the Mountain West tournament. And if they do that, they will be playing an NCAA tournament game, which is something you know he hasn't been able to say about either of its men's or women's basketball programs for a long time. As of right now, uh, if the playoffs started today, looking at John Shannon's tweet, L.A. Kings versus VGK. Oh, yeah. In L.A. Game one in L.A. Game one in L.A. Game one and two in L.A. for the VGK uh, uh, team. Um, let's see. Ca uh, Calgary would get Nashville. I, I actually think, again, we talked about this. Like, I think VGK might have the best first-round matchups, and they're barely in the playoffs. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, obviously you want to be the two instead of the three because you get home ice advantage, but I think being the three is probably better than the one. Yeah. Like, because if you're going to get the LA Kings in the first round, 
that's I think you're okay with that. I think you're signing up for the LA Kings in round one, and you say, okay, we're good to go. By the way, the Golden Knights play the Sharks tonight. Yes, they do. Pete DeBoer uh, going for number 500 against his old team. I'm not going to ask you if it's a must win. Instead, I'm going to phrase it this way. What happens if they lose? Oh, the gifts on McPhee for tomorrow. <laughs> if they lose this one, that kid will be passing out in the press box. Like, Kelly McCrimmon picking him up by the tie. Oh, that'd be bad. Like, we, we talked to Ryan Wallace yesterday, and I kind of asked him, you know, what's what's the level of, of panic here? And he basically said none. Like, not not really much panic. But in all seriousness, if they That'd be six of seven, Sharks, right? Yeah, they will have lost six of seven games. Granted, they will still be in a playoff spot, right? It's not like they're falling out of a playoff spot. There's still 29, 30 games left, whatever the number is there. There's still plenty of season left, but, like, if you lose to a bad Sharks team and you have Robin Leonard back and you've now lost six of seven and all of a sudden, you know what, Edmonton can pull, I think Edmonton could pull ahead of them if Edmonton were to win their next game. Like, all of a sudden, we're we're having serious conversations about what's the actual future of this team this season, right? Yeah, Edmonton, uh, a loss by VGK tonight, and Edmonton's in Philly, a win there, they would pull ahead of them by a point. they get 63 oh, and Philly VGK sucks. get 62. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Philly man. Philly sucks. So. <laughs> this could Philly happen. sucks more than oh, the Oh, can Sharks. you imagine yeah. if, they, if they went to fourth? That's, I mean, it's not that. I mean, it, it requires a Sharks win, and the Sharks aren't any good. So I guess it is kind of out of the question at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, right now, that's, They'd be that's out. not the craziest thing to think. They'd you know? be out. I mean, okay, let me ask you this. Who's, is Dallas playing today? Uh, they know uh, Dallas. Oh. Dallas okay. uh, plays, hosts the second-place Kings tomorrow. Okay. So here's the thing. The Golden Knights lose tonight. They will technically still have more points. If if the Golden Knights lose and Edmonton wins, right? Edmonton jumps Vegas and Vegas falls to a wild-card spot. They will technically have more points than Dallas for a wild-card spot. But on yeah, points percentage, but on points percentage... The Dallas Stars will have a better record, which means if the Golden Knights lose tonight and the Edmonton Oilers win, they'd be out of a playoff spot. The Golden Knights will not will have the ninth best record in the West. Yep. Ninth best record in the West. That is so okay. I we are I'm preparing now. Hot take. Twenty four hours in advance. Twenty one hours in advance. We are going full blown panic on the show tomorrow. Sky is falling. If they lose tonight, they gotta fire everybody. Everyone like, goes tomorrow. Like, what, like, yeah. I mean, Who becomes what? the coach? Dave I Shane? No, not Steve. Not Dave Shane. Not Steve Spot. What, no. Who's, who, I mean, I mean <laughs> there's there's only 37 hockey coaches. There's like six of them or five of them that don't have a job. So whichever one of the five don't have a job. Oh. Tortorella's Tortorella. on TV. Tortorella. They can bring, bring him Tortorella on. off TV and, and have him coach the team to end the season. That'd be a lot of fun.